I just wanted to give a simple framework as I read the Gospels at the patient way Jesus engages people all along their journey of discovering, man, is Jesus worthy and is he worth following? I don't know if I have anybody in the house today who would say, yes, I have discovered Jesus is worthy and he is worth following. But when I look at the gospels, I see how patient he is. And I want to give you just a very simple framework. If you're taking notes, this is not a hard and fast. We always get into trouble when we try to peg God to fit into some sort of airtight framework. How many know Isaiah was on to something in Isaiah 66 when he says, what can I build for God? Heaven is his throne. The earth is his footstool. There's nothing we could do to like, constrain him. Are you tracking with me? So this is not a hard and fast. Everyone is in one of these phases. But this is, a, a, I think, a fair look at a very common journey that every man, woman, boy, and girl who has been on a journey of discovering the worthiness and the worthwhileness of following Jesus has been on. That first part that we see on the patient way of discovering Jesus is, hold your place in Matthew 4, we're gonna live there. But in John chapter one, don't, verse 43 through 49, there's this amazing passage that says this, 45 and 46. Philip told Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, everyone say, Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, come and see, said Philip. How many remember the part on your journey of Jesus when you were in the come and see phase? How many came to faith later in life? Raise your hands. Where you had plenty of time long, you know, to make a mess of your life, you being calling the shots. But I believe that on everyone's journey of learning to discover the worthiness and the worthwhileness of following Jesus, they have been in a come and see phase. What do I mean by come and see? I believe some of you in this room are in this phase. You're investigating. You've heard stories about Jesus. Maybe you have a friend or a family member whose life got turned upside down, or maybe you thought they were just flat out weird. You're thinking, why are they following this Jewish Messiah carpenter who died and rose? But you're interested. Perhaps you've been awakened by the Spirit to ache and long for more substance in your life. Perhaps you've been awakened to realize Maybe this Jesus thing, maybe there's more to it than just it accounting for a third of the world's faith and religious allegiance. Come and see, Jesus says. I want you to know at Cornerstone Church, we want to be a place where we make space for people to just come and see. Where you could feel comfortable to invite your neighbors, your friends, your colleagues, your coworkers who are interested in investigating the ways of Jesus. How many have, have an amazing story of your come and see part of the journey where you discovered and you read the gospels and you're like, man, maybe this is true. Does anyone just nod your head at me? You were, it was on the heels of a season of investigation. And I want you to know, God loves your hunger to investigate. Hang out with people in this come and see phase who, you, who intrigue you, who have a character about them, who have depth and substance. Ask questions. 
Let me say that again. Ask lots of questions. Dig into the scriptures. Read the gospels over and over and over. And don't be afraid to acknowledge where you are at on your journey. So everyone say, come and see with me. Come and see. Everyone has a come and see phase. You know, I read, I've read several books on the, the unbelievable, miraculous harvest that's happening in the Muslim world of many who are having visions of Isa and the man in white and, and, and experts and theologians and missiologists say that the average time length for a Muslim to repent and come to faith and to consider the cost is about five years. Usually it happens with visions, dreams. They have a vision of the scriptures. Somehow they go down this aisle and this row and, this, and even in this mosque and they find a Bible and they read Jesus for themselves. And then usually the spirit will highlight that there's someone else on a dis- discovery journey and they somehow miraculously connect. Were they together? I'm just telling you, it's a stunning study. How many know we do a disservice to people when we try to rush them along on their journey? Come and see, Philip told Nathaniel. See if anything good can come from Nazareth. Come and see. We want to be a church that is a safe and amazing place to come and see. It's okay to be on the beginning of the journey. And then we see from the passage I told you to open to, many of us are in this phase. Come and follow. Everyone say, come and follow. Matthew chapter four. Thank you, sweetheart. Verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, what did he say? Come, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, someone say immediately. They left their nets and they followed him. As he went on from there, he saw two more brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father, Zebedee. Mending their nets, he called them. Immediately, say it again, immediately, they left the boat and their father, and followed him. There comes a point on everybody's journey when you are confronted with the reality that the God of the universe revealed through God the, the Son invites you to stop on what other path you're going down, to stop, to do a 180, and to go his way instead of your way. Who remembers that part of your journey? When you were just confronted with the reality that, whoa, there's a fork in the road here. Come, follow me. We learn from this passage that it is really hard to follow Jesus and follow our own wishes, whims, and will. This is what the word repentance is all about. Repentance is Jesus' way to all caps say, stop. Everyone say, stop. Whatever path you're on, stop. Consider, reconsider, think, rethink. And turn and respond to my invitation. Repentance is literally to change one's mind. To turn from loving ourselves and our own wishes, wills, and whims first and instead to love God and his will first. Repentance is the entrance into the kingdom. Remember back in the garden, Pastor Andrew alluded to it earlier today. 
What was the crux of the invitation of the evil one? If you'll eat from the fruit, you will become like God, knowing, everyone say knowing, good and evil. Isn't it interesting that the Greek word metanoia, this issue of repentance, is to rethink. How many know that when we took the fruit and came out of alignment and submission to God's vision and declaration and judgment of what is good and, good and evil, how many know we have been eating the fruit of the fallout ever since? of us naming good and evil. So when Jesus says, come and follow me and repent, he is doing nothing less than inviting us into the healing power of his grace where we begin to see life as he sees it. Where we begin to name what is good, right, beautiful, true, excellent, and evil according to he, what he says and how he calls it. This is why it, the, the very first invitation is rethink everything. Stop. Repent. Your whole life, you have been the one calling the shots, naming good and evil, and it's killing you. Think my thoughts. Follow me. Allow my word and my ways to begin to inform and influence what is good, what is right, what is true. How many remember when the first time when Jesus had an idea that was a little bit confrontational to what you had thought originally? <laughs> to put it mildly. Mildly. Let me see hands. Who remembers when you thought something about whether it was your, your work ethic, your, your sexual life, whether it was your resources, or whether it was when you wanted to beat the guy up instead of forgive him like Jesus sort of hints at and commands. How many remember when the way or the word of Jesus confronted you and what you thought you should do or wanted to do? How many know that confrontation happens all the time? If you agree, say amen. So repentance is not only the entrance it is our lifeline all along the way. Repentance is nothing short of God perpetually inviting us to look to Jesus, to look away from ourselves, and to follow his life-giving path. Amen. Repentance is a lifestyle. Continue to rethink. Continue to look again and live in light of who God is in Jesus. Yay. Some of us are here. But it's not too long on the journey of following Jesus and learning to live this lifestyle of repentance and checking in with him instead of just cruising by in life. Where we realize that there is a competition out there for the affections and allegiance of our heart. Can I get an amen? There comes a time on everyone's journey where they've gone past, come and see. They saw, he is good, they believe. They've said, I'm coming, I'm following, I'm repenting, I believe in Jesus. But there always is a place, and I remember it for me, it was 16, as clear as day, where Jesus leads and unapologetically confronts the deep places of our heart and says, when it comes to those competing ideas and ideologies, those competing appetites and affections and aims and desires of your heart, will you do what you want or will you do what I want? How many have been in that place with Jesus where there was a confrontation and the choice was go my way like you did at the beginning or, you know, maybe your way's best right now. Who's ever been in that place? The valley of decision, all of us. And it's in this place that Jesus doesn't say come and see and he doesn't say come and follow. What does he say? 
in Matthew 16, 23 through 5? Come and die. <laughs> Deny yourself. I can't, it's in every, I can't erase it. Along the journey, he doesn't rush to get here. But somewhere along the line, if you decide to say yes to following Jesus, he will inevitably invite you to the cross. Why does he do this? Because he's mean and grumpy? Because he's out to ruin our fun? Because he doesn't want us to fully live? No. Because he wants us to actually live and reach our full redemptive potential. Somewhere along the line on the journey of discovering if Jesus is worthy and worthwhile following, he will call you to die. This seems morbid and weird. What, is, what are we supposed to die to? We don't use that language all that often. He's calling us to deny the sinful, self-destructive, bent on self-autonomy and self-rule self that is the fruit of all that is broken and bent out of shape in our world. He's calling us to deny not who he's made us to be. One author says it like this. I have to read it in quote. Those who are considering becoming or already committed to being fully devoted followers of Jesus must count the cost of putting him first in their lives. That doesn't mean renouncing or dying to who he created you to be, but renouncing the false beliefs and behaviors that have kept you from being all he created you to be. How many know you and I from the womb are inundated with lie, with voices, with this is the way, walk in it. You should do this if it makes you. How many know the devil is insatiably issuing that invitation to choose life outside of God? And how many know when we come to faith or we start the journey of come and see, come and follow, and then we're confronted with come and die, how many know that all along the way, Jesus knows that on the other side of surrender, on the other side of obedience is the life we long to build apart from him but could never reach. He knows that if you'll trust me, if you'll deny, what is the self that Jesus is calling us to deny? Just the chapter before, Matthew 16, where he says to carry your cross. He says it's from out of the heart that defiles humanity. How many know if you're dealing with the symptoms only, you're not going deep enough? I don't just have a bad attitude. I don't just struggle with that substance. I don't just struggle with perpetually gossiping or slandering people. I don't just struggle with lust. I don't just have a problem with access. You've got a heart that needs to be ravished by the powerful love and grace of Jesus. And Jesus, when he brings every follower, every disciple along on their journey, and he says, come and die, what he's saying is, I want my redemptive purposes to touch you at your very core. I want who I am. I want what I've done. My ideals and my ideas about flourishing life. I want that to touch you in your inner place. That place of your own throne. Come on, someone say, I've got my own throne. And this one author says it like this. When you and I are on the throne, it's like in every human heart, there's a cross and there's a throne. Look at this. I never saw it. This is Floyd McClung, that book I read. And when you're on the throne, Jesus is on the cross in your heart. He's basically dead to you. That's what he said, not me. Don't be mad at me. But when we say, Jesus, 
I deny myself, not because you don't want me to discover who you made me to be, furthest thing from the truth, but so that now in and through you, the one who is life, I can do it with your help, with your power, and with your grace. Deny the heart of evil intentions and murder and adultery. I'm quoting Jesus. Fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, and this is what Jesus is calling you to deny, to put off. I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's pretty intense. He says this, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids them come and die because he knows until we settle the issue of lordship, we'll never experience the full life Jesus Christ modeled for us and died and rose and through his spirit wants to give us. It's good preaching. Jesus knows that unless we go to the cross, we won't experience life as he designed it. And Jesus knew, by the way, unless he went to the cross, we could never experience it. How many know that Jesus is not exactly walking around with skin and bone on today? But how many know because of the blood of his cross, through his perfect sacrifice, he has ratified, everyone say ratified, the blood of the covenant, which is the new covenant of God's Holy Spirit. Did you know that Jesus looked at all of his boys and they were worried because he told them he was gonna die and leave multiple times. They didn't ever get it. But he says, guys, it's for your good that I go away. Because unless I do, it will perpetually be God with you. But if I go and make a way and through my blood and through my cross ratify God's new and forever eternal covenant arrangement, I want it to be not God with you. I want it to be God in you. Let me say that again. How many know that was the, that's, that's our historical problem is trying to live life close enough to God and still call the shots and this jostle. But Jesus is saying, until I go to the cross and make a way, God's new arrangement with all of creation is not God with, but God in through the power of the Holy Spirit. We all said amen. That's good news. The Spirit poured out filling us with the very life and truth of God, where the laws of God are no longer this outward tutor that has a huge ruler that smacks us on the knuckles when we blow it, but he himself writes and etches his law on our hearts, where God takes us from knowing what is right and not doing it, knowing what is right and striving to do it, to knowing what is right and delighting to do it. This is, I'm not telling this is some wishy-washy. This is the fruit of the gospel. God overhauling the human heart with all of its cravings and desires until we want actually what he wants. This is the good news of Jesus. This is the gospel worth dying for. The good news that liberates humanity from our self-destructive path to experience God's life in the spirit. Come and die. Everyone's favorite part of the journey. (laughs) But if you're dead, 
to yourself, to your sin? Who are you making a way to live in and through you? (laughs) Jesus. His life. His will. His power. His provision. And then God takes us along the journey. Everyone say, we're on a journey. And everyone who's ever followed Jesus, at some point, he takes them to this place of come and serve. Everyone say, come and serve. We see Jesus Christ. You know, in Matthew 20, 25, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over those, and they're the great ones, and they have tyrants over them, and Jesus says, it will not be so among you who follow me. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus shows us the paradigm for an entire life on serving. When he frees us from the tyranny of self and the tyranny of sin, and then he gets down and he disrobes and he washes our feet. And then he says, this is how I, your teacher, have lived. You'll be blessed if you live like I live. There's a place where every disciple, every follower on the journey, you follow Jesus long enough, you realize he's just about other people. He's about the Father's will and the Father's business and the Father's kingdom and He's about those who are far from the Father's house and he's, he's always rooting for the underdog and making space for the outsider and the marginalized and the oppressed and the outcast. He's always inviting in those whom the religious try to keep out and the self-righteous. There comes a place, and I've known people like this, where you look at them and you just say, they are just a humble servant. They realize that life is found not in getting and grasping, but in giving and going. (laughs) Come and serve, Jesus says. Not once, not a blip on your radar, but as the posture of your whole life in me. (sighs) And Jesus helps us We're almost done. We're doing really great on time. And he tells us next what life is really all about. Loving God with all that you are and loving people in the same way. Come and serve and then you want to sustain a lifestyle of serving, stay in love. Because lovers always serve harder than those who work out of duty and their own efforts. When service becomes an offering of love, there is no task too menial or too small that you and I cannot do by God's spirit. When we realize that we're serving not the one in front of us first, but primarily him first, it infuses all of our service with love. 
a love that has the power to seep through the cracks of the cement that humanity has blasted over their hearts through their sin, through their callousness and harshness. When we take the posture of serving humbly in love, God, all God needs is a crack. Come on, somebody. All he needs is a crack. I have this, these stupid pavers in my backyard. I have no idea how, but these stinking weeds. <sighs> Am I talking to anybody today? If a weed that has no life to offer others can break through the hardest impenetrable fortress, what can the seeds of God's love do through his followers who've taken the posture of loving service as their own? There's a lot more, but come and see. Maybe you're there today. I challenge you, investigate, read. Don't take other people's word for it. Download the app, go to the Bible study, come and see. I am convinced that what you will see in him is what your heart has always craved. Some of you are at the come and follow. You're learning the new lifestyle of repentance. You're learning it's hard to hold your nets and to go the way Jesus is going. They're too heavy, too cumbersome. So you're learning to cast off every other yoke but the yoke of Jesus. Some of you at the place of come and die. I think he's calling me to lay down my life and not just a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of me, but all Jesus and me just getting to be on the ride the adventure of life in his kingdom. Some of you are in this phase of come and serve. You're ready to give your life away for God's mission and God's purpose in the world. And lastly, the gospel of Matthew ends, go and make disciples of the nations. Some of you are like a stallion in a stall, thinking you need more teaching, more training until you invite others along the same journey of discovery. I'm here to tell you the good news. You're ready. If you've been on any journey, you are ready right here and right now. How do I know? Jesus allowed, did you know there's two commissions in the gospel of Matthew? The first one's in Matthew 10, where the knuckleheads didn't even know which way was up, which way was right, which way was left. And Jesus sends them out to be instruments of shalom and healing to the lost sheep of Israel. And then he, that's even before he's like done the, hey, deny yourself. How many know Jesus wants to get us in the game always before we feel ready? Come on, that's the good news. And that's the lie of the devil. And certainly the church in the West, you need more of this, this, this. I'm here to tell you, if you know Jesus, you are ready to invite someone else to follow and know Jesus. You and I have lived far enough and for far too long disqualifying ourselves and saying, nope, not ready. Some of you are here, go and make disciples. Jesus said it like this. All authority, come on someone, if he has all authority, where's the other authority? He's got it all. And heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, come on, someone say, remember. 
like you mean it. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. What Jesus did and died to make a reality, Jesus continues to do through those who go and make disciples. Those who go and invite others on this journey of come and see, come and follow, come and die, come and serve, and then you go and make. It's not a hard and fast schema, but I think it's a pretty good one. If you were taking notes, where do you see yourself at? Just pause, think about it. Where am I at, Holy Spirit? Show me the truth. Where am I? And as I studied for this and I, and, I, and I wrote it out in big on, I can give you all my notes. I have the full narrative. I don't usually always do that, but sort of a full narrative. I can email the whole church. Um, where are you at on this journey of following? Almost right in the middle of the gospel, there's this wonderful promise at the end of Matthew chapter 12. Jesus' mom and his brothers and family are outside and they're pressing the crowds and there's some people come to Jesus and say, Jesus, your, your family wants to see you. And Jesus says, who are my mother, my brothers? Are they not those who hear and then do the will of my father? They are my real family. So the cool thing about this journey of following and learning, what does it mean to repent and believe on Jesus for life and to deny ourselves and to carry our crosses and jump in the Jesus way and the Jesus mission to go make disciples of all the nations, invite others along the same journey of Jesus following, abiding, loving, and obeying. Right in the middle of the promise is that you have an entire new spiritual family that is in your corner. Amen. There is to be a place for those who, whether they have a nuclear or biological family or whether you feel all alone, that there's to be a community called the church. I love this. The church as a family is by far the most prominent metaphor describing the church in the New Testament. I'm quoting now. The word brother is used 139 times. The word father is used 63 times. The word inheritance is used 19 times. The word sons and or daughters is used 17 times. The, the word children is used 39 times. In total, 277 familial references in Paul's letters alone. You and I get to follow Jesus in family with others on the journey. How many know you do not have to do this follow Jesus thing alone? But hold on, how many of you are? How many of us are wallowing in anxiety or worry, not knowing which direction to go? Not, how many of you live in that feeling of isolation and loneliness? 
How many know Jesus is not after, oh, I know it here. He's after, I know it here. And then I know it here, experientially. I want to be, be a spiritual family that follows Jesus together. Does that sound good enough? Jesus, I always think about it. We get to follow God. (laughs) I don't know if that's cool to anybody else, but our life can have eternal meaning and purpose. We can leave a legacy way more than our inheritance financially. How many know God wants us to leave a legacy of a thousand generations who know who love, who trust, who abide in, practice the way of, and obey Jesus. This is what he wants our legacy to be as his people. A legacy of Jesus lovers and Jesus followers who can help others learn to do the same. Right now, grab your smartphone. This has to be practical. Has anyone been encouraged by the word, just the simplicity and... I want you to think right now, who am I following Jesus with? Write it on your smartphone. Just be real. The Holy Spirit knows. Write it. Come on. Get your smartphones out, your iPads. I don't care. Old school journal, pen and paper. Write names down. Don't feel condemned. If there's no names you can think of, then come talk to me. Let's start following them together. Write those names. Who am I following Jesus with right now? Who am I on the journey of discovering his worthiness and worthwhileness? Don't feel condemned. You're like, Chatty, I don't know. Well, we're going to get some names on that list today. And then I want you to do this. Maybe you know some people who are a little bit further back on their journey or maybe a little bit further ahead. Write some names down of people in your life that maybe they're ready to be invited to come and see. Write them down. Who are the, one of my friends, we call it low-hanging fruit. Who are those people that you have influence with, those people that love you, that, that value your time and your relationship, but they wouldn't claim allegiance to Jesus, or, but that they're in your life for a reason? Write those names down. Who are those that, man, if I, with those people I'm following Jesus with already, what if I invited them to come and see this one from Nazareth? <laughs> awesome. I just want to show you our commitments. What's our vision as a church? What's our big idea? We'll be talking about it over the next several weeks. But I want you to notice central to all of it is everything we've said today. We want to be and become 
and invite all of those around us to become followers of Jesus Christ, his disciples. We want to raise up a people committed to the call to follow, abide in, and obey Jesus. If you agree, say amen. amen. We want to become a people who are consumed by the command to love Jesus, neighbor, and ourselves as he loves us. If you agree, say amen. amen. And we want to be compelled. I like the word constrained too. I couldn't pick, but I went with compelled. By the commission of Jesus to go into all the world and to make disciples of Jesus who in turn make more disciples of Jesus. Would you stand up with me and bring your smartphones with you or whatever you have in your hand and just pray for those names on your list right now. Just, just in your heart, just say, Jesus, I bless those that I'm following you with or Lord, I crave to follow you with others. Just talk to Jesus Use your everyday heart, your everyday language, your everyday words. You don't have to be super anything. Just talk to your father this morning. Jesus, I delight in the journey of following you. I love following you. And then just pray, Jesus, I ask that you would, by your spirit, move on the hearts of those in my life who maybe they're ready to be invited to come and see, to check out the Jesus way. And then ask right now, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Just ask him, fill me with the spirit of boldness, the spirit of courage, the spirit, Lord, of, of love and power and a sound mind. Lord, you said that when you breathe on your disciples, as the Father sent me, I am sending you out to be like I am in the world. And just say, Jesus, I thank you for giving me the gift of your spirit today. In Jesus' name, and we all said amen and amen. Follow me. Everyone say that with me. Follow me. Did you know every night you go to bed and every morning you wake up, his invitation is there. Follow me. What will you decide? What will you decide? Jesus, I pray for my family, my spiritual family. I commission them as you commission us as a church to go to our workplaces, to our families, our neighborhoods, and in our networks to show and share the tangible love of Jesus. Send us from this place with astronomical amounts of hope that it just starts leaking on those around us. Fill us with your peace and presence and then pour us out as an offering of loving service this week. In Jesus' name, we all said amen and amen.